0: Just want to mention this morning, um, I mean, I guess I could doctor Phil Stout as appropriate. I don't, I, I'm sure he, he, I've never heard him use his own title, but I'll use it for him. Um, I've known Phil for a few years. I met him about six years ago, and um, I've been impressed with him every time I've ever heard him speak or talk or talk about the life of the church he pastored for 30 years and retired this past fall. And so, in uh, just a moment, Phil's going to come, but I, one of the things I think I told Phil this one other time, and I don't know if he remembers it. But many of you who have seen him or heard him, and we've used some of Bob Goff's stuff here before, they said, look, it's Bob. Um, it is not Bob Goff, but I at least know this guy, so um, maybe he's just as good. Um, Phil, would you come and share with us, and Carol, we thank you for coming as well. Yeah, I was in a coffee shop, and a, and a, a young woman came up to me I'd never met, and she said, are you who I think you are? And I said, I don't know. Who do you think I am? And she said, you know. And I said, no, I don't know. Who do you think I am? And she kept, are you who you, I, I said, I don't know. She said, are you Bob Goff? I said, no. And she was so disappointed. <laughs> but at first she didn't believe me. She said, yes, you are. So no, I, I really, I, I almost had to show her my ID, you know, to, to let her know. It's so good, so good to be with you. I, I, um, I, I love the local church. Uh, Carol and I have given our lives to the local church. We grew up in local churches and 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 there's a reason for that not just because we like the people there which we do but we have this conviction that the local church the body of christ is the vehicle that god has chosen to be christ in this world to change this world we live in a, a a culture of bigness and of grandiosity and and like we talked last night it's it sometimes masks that small measure of leaven that is working through the culture, working through the bread and changing it, and that is the local church. And it, it, it's the local church in context, in communities around the globe that God has chosen. But we had a rough start. I mean, it was really tough when we first became the church, when we first became the body of Christ, when Jesus said, you wait in Jerusalem and, and my spirit will come upon you and fill you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth, that word witness in the original language meant martyrs. You will be my martyrs. That had to give you a little sense of pause for a moment. And so this group of believers was trying to figure out how they live together now on this earth, now that Jesus has gone and entrusted them, but, but with the knowledge that he placed his spirit in them, and, and it was kind of tough at the beginning. They had some, they had some you know, tough things going on. You get to the sixth chapter of Acts, and you have this instance where uh, one of the people comes into the, the church and, and, and brags about how much he gave, and, and, and he really didn't give as much as he said he had, and, 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 the, and the preacher looked at him and said, you're lying. And boom, he fell over dead. That hardly ever happened in my church. <laughs> You know, it was it was it was really you know fear. What's going on? in This new thing, and very early in the whole process, uh, they began to be persecuted. At first, it was kind of minor stuff, you know, getting thrown in in jail for a day or two, and 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 getting dressed down by the Sanhedrin. But but then it got bad. And around the seventh chapter or so, we'll be find where Stephen, who was proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, was eventually dragged outside the city, thrown in a pit, and pummeled with stones until he died and a man named Saul was kind of overseeing that all a a, a Pharisee who had who had really risen in the ranks of his religion and was very very popular and after that happened there's one phrase that always just kind of gets me in the, the eighth chapter of Acts it says on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and so they started scattering. Uh, the, uh, the, the Jewish leaders who had distorted their religion and the Roman officials were no longer just tossing them in jail for a night. It got really bad. And so they dispersed and went all throughout the land. The beginnings of what Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the very ends of the earth. Well, this Saul, this Pharisee who had been making so much trouble had an encounter, and I haven't got time to tell you about that today, but you ought to read about it in the book of Acts. It's really amazing stuff, where Jesus appeared to him in a vision, knocked him to the ground, and he saw for the first time, and then his sight was taken away. In a few days, Saul had the scales fall from his eyes, and he saw what he had been persecuting. He saw Jesus Christ as the Messiah. As Leah read today, he said, we, we know who he is now. We know he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And this Saul, that was his Hebrew name, took on a Greek name, Paul, so he could tell everybody the good news, and he began going out being one of those who then spent his life being harassed for telling the good news. Now, he went through all kinds of stuff. One of my favorite things that Paul did as, as, a, uh, as a preacher is, um, well, just first let me say, you know, people think preachers are harmless, you know? We hate that image, don't we? We, we just hate that, you know? We went to preach. The thing I like about Paul is he'd go preach in a city and riots would break out. Is that cool or what, you know? I, I just always thought that was great. Like Ephesus is the one we always talk about. He's in Ephesus and... and um, his ministry uh, is getting people uh, uh, finding Jesus Christ, and it's cutting in on the uh, the businesses of those who produced idols. And so there's this big riot. And and, and what always struck me about the riot at Ephesus is that is that the people are are, are chanting. I mean, it was like a two hour riot where they're screaming the name of their goddess and, and trying to shout uh, down any other kind of any other kind of truth. And and they made their way to the stadium there. And this full stadium now. The stadiums in those days were literally about the size they are today. You know, there's there's one stadium they uncovered, that is the size of the big house. It saved like 100,000 people. I don't know if the one in Ephesus was that big, but the stadium full of people rioting and screaming. And you know what Paul says? He goes, i got to go talk to these people. <laughs> and his friends are going, no, no, they're holding back. You can't go in there. They're going to rip you to shreds. No, I just want to tell them about Jesus. Give me, a-, you know, But they finally coerced him not to go there. That's the kind of guy we have here named Paul, you know. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit more today about what happened in Thessalonica, which was just before the Ephesus riot. Paul had been to Jerusalem to talk with the elders. He'd been to Philippi and and Thessalonica and on to Ephesus. But in Thessalonica, again, there was this little problem with uh, a riot. Paul had been going to the synagogue for like three consecutive Sabbaths and and talking about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He was staying at a house, uh, a guy named Jason. He and Silas were staying there. Um, be careful who you invite into your house because when the riot broke out and they couldn't immediately find Paul and Silas, they went and got Jason and ripped him out of his house and took him before the magistrates and said, this guy, I said, first of all these people have been ruining the whole world, they're going all over the world causing trouble, terrible things and Jason let them into his house and then of all things, I think this is so fascinating. At this point, where these people are, are so angry at this, this thing about the church of Jesus Christ, so angry at this, they actually give us one of the best articulations of the gospel in all the Bible. I'll just read it for you. It says, These men have caused trouble all over the world, and they have come here. And they said this in Acts 17, 7. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, One called Jesus. See, that was the problem. It wasn't just that Jesus was a king, but he was another king. He was the only king. See, usually cultures are kind of like this. If you and I kind of just assimilate into the culture and take all the values of our culture around us and say, oh, by the way, we're Christians, um, they're okay with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And the Roman Empire would have been okay with them as well if that's what had happened. If they had just said, uh, uh, oh, we can still serve Caesar. We can still worship Caesar. I mean, they they thought Caesar was a god. That's okay. And, well, we have another god too. We have this other god named Jesus. Um, They'd have said, well, just shut up about Jesus. But as 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 long as you're worshiping Caesar, we're okay with this. But the problem was they were defying Caesar, saying there's another king. And his name is Jesus. We talked last night that the thing Jesus talked about more than anything else was the kingdom of heaven. And this radical phrase that he used, the kingdom of heaven, he, he used it so many times to compare with the Roman Empire, the Roman kingdom. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven is not the same as the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of heaven stands in opposition to the kingdoms of this world. All the values of the kingdom of heaven are different than the kingdoms of this world. In fact, the Christians even stole some of the language of the Roman Empire. You know, people said that Augustus was the son of God. They said that he would bring peace on earth. And there even a the phrase. Uh, archaeologists have found this inscription on on different uh, monuments in the ancient Roman world. It said. There is no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved as the name of Augustus. You know what the Christians said. But no, no, no. There's no other name under heaven given by which men must be saved than Jesus. Well, if Jesus isn't Caesar, and Caesar isn't Jesus, then they had a real problem with these disciples. They had a real problem because they were saying, you are not living by our values. You're not cherishing what we cherish. You're not worshiping what we worship. And we are the heirs of those first century Christians. We are those ones who say that if we follow the kingdom of heaven, it's going to put us at odds with the values of this world. Now, one of the places where Paul was was a place called Philippi. It's actually literally pronounced Philippi. But if I say Philippi, everybody thinks I'm mispronouncing it, so we'll call it Philippi, all right? So in Philippi, Paul went there, and Philippi was what we call a Roman colony. In those days, obviously, as Rome was trying to conquer the world, they did it mainly through military might. They would just squash their enemies and enslave their enemies. Uh, that's why, uh, that's how Augustus chose to bring peace on earth, by just destroying everybody who disagreed with him. You know, you can do that. If you, if you just kill everybody who disagrees with you, then I guess you have peace, but it's not exactly the peace of Christ, right? So, so, so that's, that was their main mode of operation, was to just destroy everybody. But they also did this thing with colonizing. So we've all heard of Roman colonies. They would go to the out... outlying areas and they would plant what they called a Roman colony or they would take over a city and say now you're a Roman colony and what that meant was that even though you're not in Rome Philippi was in Macedonia even though you're not in Italy you're not in Rome you are a colony of Rome you live by the laws of Rome you live by the values of Rome you worship the gods of Rome so Philippi was a Roman colony that was displaced, but worshiped the gods, lived by the values of Rome. And Paul wrote to the Philippian believers, he said something that they all got. As he was talking to them, because they had been socialized and propagandized, that, you know, even though we live in Macedonia and Philippi, we, we really are Romans, he said, I want you to know something. He said, your citizenship he said this to the Christians, your citizenship is in heaven sometimes that's been translated you are a colony of heaven and when he said that when he said that they knew exactly what he was saying he was saying no 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 no, no. you're not a Roman colony. you're a colony of heaven you Christians that means you may live in Philippi you may live in Macedonia you may live in Rome wherever but you live by the values of heaven you live by the laws of heaven You worship the God of heaven. You worship Jesus Christ. You were placed in this place, but oh, you're something different. Your citizenship is elsewhere. And that's the story of the church of Jesus Christ. We live among the kingdoms of this world, but our citizenship is from another place. Jesus said that. When Pilate looked at him and said, Don't you know that I have the power to give you life or take it away? And Jesus said, You don't have any power whatsoever given to you. He said, My kingdom comes from another place. My kingdom is not dictated by Pilate or Herod or Caesar. And Paul said, You are a colony of heaven. You live by a different set of values, which is pretty exciting stuff. Think about that today. You and I as Christians live in the United States of America. We live in Canada. We live in Guatemala. We live in China. We live around this globe. But that's not where our citizenship is. That's not where we get our values. We are citizens of heaven. I and you do not have to live by the values of this world. We don't have to live by the cynicism of this world. We are people of hope. We don't have to live by materialism where we worship stuff. We worship something higher than stuff we don't have to we don't have to play by the rules that you have to hate your enemy because jesus said i'm going to liberate you you get to love your enemy in fact i call you to love your enemy the values that jesus espoused were a totally different set of values and you and i are called to be that colony of heaven we are In the best sense of the word, colonizing this world, not with an ideology, not with with some political structure. We are colonizing with the love of Jesus Christ, the lay down your life and die for others, love of Jesus Christ. That's the value system we live by. That's what we embrace. Now, is that a battle? Oh, man, is it ever a battle? (laughs) It's such a battle. Because we all live in a culture. Paul did. Paul did you do i do A- and the culture is all around us always telling us here's what you're supposed to value right i mean every uh, you know we used to we used to always you know us preachers we always say you know the, the culture's all around you in advertising and in, and in television and, and radio and stuff nobody watches television anymore in radio they, they watch online and uh, but it's in advertising and advertising and advertising and advertising and But it's saying, here's what you ought to value. You ought to value how you are perceived by the world. That ought to be a core value of yours. So people live their whole lives, kill themselves their whole lives to make sure people think highly of them. Then they come down to the end of their life with a big hole in their heart going, what did I get my life to People live their their whole lives trying to prove they're right. Even Christians, did you know that when Jesus gave us his message, he never said, go into all the world and make sure they believe you're right. He never said that. He never said, go in the whole world and win the argument. He never said that. He said, go act like me. Go lay your life down. Go die for me. Go give up. You know, the Christian doesn't say, what do I have a right to? We say, what do I get to give up? what do I get to lay down? Because Jesus emptied himself. and We say, how do we get to empty ourselves for this world? But it's hard because we live in this culture. Christ called us to live in this culture. He didn't tell us that we're supposed to go to Montana and build a compound and put up big walls. And No, we're supposed to live. In Jackson, Michigan, Muskegon, Michigan, Chicago, Illinois, Indianapolis, we're, we're supposed to live here. He placed us here. But it's a constant battle that we live here, but we take our values from another place. That's hard. You know, when, uh, when John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, living in a cave and writing the book of Revelation in a vision that he saw, um, it, it, that the book of Revelation... It's kind of a weird book, isn't it? Okay, let's just be honest. That's a weird book, okay? Um, John's Vision, and, and I misunderstood it most of my life, so I never liked it. And, and, but it's, it's not what we think it is. It's not a timeline. It's not all that kind of stuff. There's some big themes in the book of Revelation. And one of them, one of those themes is really, really, really important to us right now. There were two images, actually there were three images in the book of Revelation. The Lamb the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the beast, and, sorry for the children in the room, the great whore. The Lamb, of course, is Christ. But in that book, the beast and the whore were the Roman Empire. And what John was saying is he's saying the values of this world as a beast can crush you or as a whore can seduce you and that's what culture wants to do in some in some countries the culture is crushing them you and i probably live in a culture where the culture is not crushing us but seducing us which is worse i don't know but we live for the lamb we don't look to the seducer we don't fear the beast We live for the Lamb because our citizenship is elsewhere. And, you know, those early disciples just assumed they were going to lay down their lives for Jesus. Jesus did, you know? I mean, they saw him rise from the dead. The government said, We'll kill you. They said, Yeah, it's been done, you know? We believe in resurrection. No, they weren't that fearless. That was, I'm not, I don't want to make light of the persecution It scattered them. It was horrendous. It was awful. And, and we don't want that. But, but yet they, they kind of took it that if I follow Jesus, it means I give everything up. It means that everything this value loves, I can't bra- embrace. And everything this value despises, this culture despises are the things that I'm called to embrace. I'm called to embrace a lay down your life love for one another. I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm to love my neighbor as myself and I'm to love my enemy. I am to be defined by love, and I am to be a local body of believers that is not defined by its rules, not defined by its theology, but defined by how it loves the community and the world in which it is placed. And so we have to work real hard. We have to work real hard. I try to teach my kids that, and um, I I tried to use... uh, a a gift that I think the Lord gave me. It's called the gift of sarcasm. Um, I I used, you know, we'd be watching TV or something, a commercial would come on and I'd just start making fun of the commercial. (laughs) That car will make you happy. You know, that, you know, that, oh, I want to look like him, you know. We would just make fun of that stuff, you know, and I don't know if it worked. My kids would kind of go, watching TV with Dad's a real trip, you know. But, but I wanted to mock the values of this culture because I wanted them to see that if we don't think it through, we'll just adopt it. We'll just adopt it. Statistics say that 70% of Americans are born again. Do we believe that? Maybe 70% of Christians say, oh, I agree that Jesus is good. Or maybe they said, I I said the prayer. I was in a service one time. They said, say the prayer, raise your hand. I did that but a new birth that changes everything? Man, if 70% of us had gone through that, this would be heaven on earth, wouldn't it? No, because what they have been taught in American Christianity is you can say the prayer, you you can say I believe, but you don't have to eschew the values. You can embrace all the values of this world. You can hate your enemy. You can be a materialist and spend your whole life accumulating things for yourself. You You can do all of these things. You can promote hate and division. You can do all that and say, oh, by the way, I'm born again but that's not our heritage our heritage is lay down your life love because we're not afraid of the beast and will not be seduced by the whore we are a colony of heaven and the values that Jesus came he said now put your name in there now Phil now put your name in you're going to live like me in this world Personally, on my own, I don't have a shot at that. I have to be part of the local community of believers if I'm going to live like Jesus. I can't do that on my own. (laughs) I can't have ministry on my own. None of us are Lone Ranger. It's through the church. We use our gifts. We give our resources. We simplify our lives so that we can give more and do more. We change our schedules. We do whatever we can through the body of believers because the body of believers is in fact the hands and feet, the body of Christ. And it is through that that we say that is our mission. How do we stay missional in this world? We stay missional by saying what are the values that we live by, and we don't go to CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, or any of those sources to figure out what our values are, no matter how hard they push them. Now, there's something here I've got to really end with, because this is so important. This is so important. Don't think that our opposition to the world is, barred, is born of hate. We don't hate the world. We love this world. We love all of creation. We love every human being created in the image of God. You know, what did did Jesus say to Nicodemus? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. We're not saying we're superior to the world. We're just saying that Jesus has called us to something different and we want to tell the good news to everyone. So we're not those hateful Christians. Did you ever wonder, the term mean Christians, shouldn't that be an oxymoron? Judgmental Christians, shouldn't that be an oxymoron? Exclusive Christians, shouldn't that be? Well, too bad it's not, but we gotta live differently. No, we love this world. We don't hate this world. We hate what the world tries to do to us, but even more than that, we hate what the world tries to do to the world. It's not about us and what we get. It's like, oh, we hate the hate that the children in this world are raised in. We, we hate the hopelessness with which the generations are coming up. And we, we hate the cynicism. We, and we want to be that good news, so we love the world. There's a, little, there's a little phrase in there. Uh, it's really an interpretation that kind of helps me love the world. Because I want to love the world. I just want to be one who works from a different kingdom. It's found in Peter's letter, one of Peter's letters. It's just a little phrase he has. He's talking about the hope we have and, and all of that. And he just says, live out your life as foreigners here. A little phrase here, live out your life as foreigners here. And a couple of uh, uh, people that I, I, I hold in high esteem, Will Willimon and, and Stanley Harawash, wrote a book, and, and, and they used the phrase resident aliens. Okay, Paul, uh, Peter said, live your life as though you're foreigners here. He said, we're resident aliens. In other words, we've been transplanted into this world by Christ, and we love this world. We do. The older I get, the more of a nature freak I am. You know, I I, I want to go outside and walk, and I want to breathe the air and see the trees. And and, and the older I get, the more um, I'm a people watcher. And I, I just look at people because I'm trying to see everybody I encounter as people in which the image of God dwells. That man, that woman, that child. It's created in God's image, and God's image has been placed in them. Every one of them is someone for whom Christ died. We don't hate this world. We're not even anxious to escape it. I know someday when my body is very is very old deteriorating and and that you know at that point where your body feels more like your enemy than your friend i'll probably want to escape then but 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 thank god i'm not i'm not looking forward to escape this world i love this world and yet i don't want this world to dictate my values i want one thing alone and that to be jesus christ as leah read today who is the christ who is the messiah and a local church in any city in any town makes an impact when over generations they don't live by the cultural mores but they live by the kingdom mores and they do it in lay down your life love. They don't do it by saying we are superior to the world. That's called judgmentalism and Jesus despised that. We don't do it by saying we want nothing to do with the world. They might get us dirty well, we're all dirty. We all need forgiveness. We all have attitudes that need to be changed. We all have biases and prejudices that God's got to root out. So, so i got plenty of dirt that I'm working with right now, okay? No, no, we don't want to escape the world. We love the world, but we love the one who said, my kingdom is not from this place. I want to challenge you. As your church is such an exciting place to be, so many good things on the horizon. As God is calling you to give your lives to ministry, calling you to simplify your lives, to give more to kingdom work locally and around the world, as as God is calling you all to this, I, I, I want you to foster in your spirit a deep, deep love for this world, but a deep, deep resistance to the values that are destroying this world. And when we resist the values that destroy this world and destroy lives and embrace His values, then we can love Him and be like Him. This is one last thing. You know, Christians don't always have a good reputation in our world. Did you notice that? Um, There was a survey done a while back of some atheists and what they thought about Christians. Everybody's going, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. It was actually kind of surprising. They... um, the, 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 there wasn't that animosity they thought there would be. And they said, what do you like about Christians? And this, I have to explain this statement because it doesn't make any sense. They said, we like those Katrina Christians. What's that? They were talking about the, the massive, tragic flood that killed hundreds of people in New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina. And Christians just went down that city and saved lives and loved people and loved people. And... And they like that. You know why? I think because that's when we look like Jesus. I don't think Jesus is horrendous to look at. I think a Christian caricature of Jesus is if we can be like Jesus, then the world will know that he is the Christ. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And yet, it is so incumbent on us to live close enough to you submissive enough to you, repentant enough to you that you can change us, you can change the way we see our world, you can change the way we interact with our world. Thank you for the church. Thank you for calling us to a different set of values and in those values to love like you love for God so loved the world. We give it all to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.